The Built by Bama Online Podcast presents T. Watts and TR for Thursday, June the 11th, 2020. Travis Ryer, Senior Analyst for BamaOnline.com with you alongside my partner, Mr. Tim Watts, site publisher there for us at BamaOnline.com. And as we bring Tim on, we're ramping up, Tim. We're ramping up into a variety of sports. We're ramping up into Alabama football players being back on campus and as always, uh, we could be ramping up to some big news on the recruiting front, perhaps, Tim. Yeah, you know, there's there's been talk, a lot of talk, actually, that, that um, you know, Alabama fans have got that commitment almost every week for a while. They've been on a little bit of a roll. And then, you know, it, it gets a little quiet, and I think people get a little bit nervous. Um, but there's been a lot of talk that IMG Academy uh, five-star offensive tackle J.C. Latham is on the verge of committing to Alabama, which would be huge news. We've just touched on this Sunday. I had a big nugget on it. Uh, Alabama's definitely trending in the right direction right now. Ohio State was thought to be in, in it pretty deep. And I think they're definitely a contender, LSU, to some regard. But when you look at IMG, Alabama has a pretty good uh, connection there. Um, Ballou was at IMG, for instance, a new strength and conditioning coach. And, wow, this week, ton, ton, ton of information. We've been waiting on – the, the strength and conditioning, since they were hired, we've been hyping these guys pretty much. And then COVID shut down the workout, so we haven't really heard, you know, you know what the players' reaction was. But this week, I've heard so much that it's obviously they have uh, really had a big impact. And I think they've also had a big impact on J.C. Latham. You work in, he's friends with Evan Neal. Alabama needs tackles. So I think Alabama's headed in the right direction. And, man, this would be a big, big get. I mean, this is a big, big-time prospect. You've seen some pretty hellacious tackle combos come into the league in the SEC in the last few years, Tim. Just last year, Tennessee sort of pulled it off with a five-star duo up there in Knoxville. But in 2017, you had Alex Leatherwood and Jedrick Wills come into Tuscaloosa together. Do you think the stars are aligning, perhaps, Tim, that between these elite tackle prospects that Alabama's in on. And it's not just J.C. Latham and Tommy Brockemeyer, although those two guys obviously perhaps at the very top of the list. You, you see in another duo along the lines of Leatherwood and, and Wills from four years ago, maybe? I think it's possible, especially, you know, you look up and Tommy Brockemeyer, he's another kid. He's a Texas legacy. Had heard a lot of lot of positive energy about him with Alabama. He has a brother that's a really good player. His brother's actually a good player. Nobody really talks about him because Tommy, you know, probably with a good, really good junior year and uh, and and you know he was injured last year and didn't play, but a good help, you know, a good junior film. He would have been in the discussion for number one, just like J.C. Latham is. That's how good this tackle combination is. So there's two guys. You know, some would consider them the number one and number two tackles in the nation. Uh, you throw in a Marius Mims, another guy, Alabama. Now, I will say Mims, Bama's really fighting hard with Georgia. I still think Georgia's going to be tough to beat. But Mims' interest in Alabama is legit. He's had, and I've talked to people that said he grew up really loving the Alabama programs. So they've set the Alabama staff with Flood and all those guys have did a really good job of setting up for a great uh, tackle class. Speaking of Georgia and Amarius Mims, a product of Bleckley County High School in Cochran, Georgia. One of the things we wanted to do on the podcast today is a retrospective of University of Alabama football recruiting in the state of Georgia 
in the Nick Saban era. You ready to go on the uh, time machine and, and kind of work through it, Tim? Absolutely. So let's go back to 2007. Let's talk about that very first class, which, you know, you go into the database and you go into the commitment list there at 247sports.com and you see Kareem Jackson as a Fork Union uh, product. But this is a Georgia guy. This is a guy who took a sort of uh, long way around to, to getting to the SEC, but he, he made it there. And I got to say, one of the maybe best evaluations or best finds by the Alabama staff under Nick Saban, really in that first class with Kareem Jackson, when you consider his impact, um, the plays he made in his three years, what he's gone on to do in the National Football League. And you also had an undervalued wide receiver that came on board in that class as well. And Darius Hanks from Norcross redshirted his first year. But, you know, by the time you got to his senior season, his redshirt senior season, Darius Hanks, Marquise Mays, also a part of that 2007 class. Once Julio left in 2010, Hanks and Mays were kind of your your top guys on that national championship team in 2011. Yeah, I'll be honest. I didn't know a lot about Kareem heading into uh uh, his, you know, Alabama getting involved. Obviously, he was, a, you know, he you know, back then it was a little pop more popular to go to those uh, those prep school type places. You don't hear about it as much anymore. But when you watched him, his film jumped out at you. He's an athlete. He had, you know, fluid hips and he was quick and he moved really well. And again, you're right. It's a great eval, not only because getting him to Alabama when they desperately needed talent in that class. And um, that was a class where some of the highlights were flipping guys like. Chavis Williams and Marquise Mays and, you know, you know, Josh Chapman, guys that would, you know, pave the way uh, later on for for some successful Alabama teams. But Kareem was a big pickup. Not a lot of people, not a lot of big offers. You know, that's one of those. That's when the, uh, you know, oh, the Bama bump, you know, the Bama bump, just because, you know, you don't know about him. And then Alabama offers him or a big name school offers him. It's not uncommon to see a guy reevaluated or even evaluated for the first time. That's sort of what happened with Kareem. Um, you know, who ended up a four-star prospect, I believe. Yeah, he was one of those sort of late guys like a Josh Jacobs uh, that a new staff with Nick Saban really uh, knocked it out of the park with from the evaluation standpoint. Talking about another really good evaluation, how about Chance Warmack two years later as a part of that 2009 class uh, and, and to go on and, and do the things he did at the offensive guard position Still maybe the best offensive line that Alabama has put on the field under Nick Saban, that 2012 group, and Chance was a big, big part of that. Yeah, I mean, Chance is sort of that bell cow for interior offensive linemen. You know, the guy I like to refer to uh, came in as a three-star guy, not super hype, not super excited. Uh, you know, a lot of the fans weren't super excited. But, you know, it wasn't long when he was on campus and we started hearing – discussions about how good he was and how well he moved and he could pull and how strong he was so it was quick and I mean he's one of the best top 10 guy didn't really work out as well in the NFL but man he you know ended up a top 10 pick and he was one of those trendsetters because at the time there wasn't a lot of interior offensive linemen going that high in the NFL draft if you remember this now it's pretty common even centers are going in the first round so for him to go that early tells you he sort of set the tone there how about a quarterback from Gainesville High School um, a year later in 2010? Before Deshaun Watson came out of Gainesville High School, Tim, there Jeez. was Blake Sims. How about that? How about that one-two punch at the quarterback position over there? 
yeah, Blake, you know, Blake was <laughs> Blake was just that athlete, not really you know, it was it was hard even in the valuation process and the ranking process to know where to rank him. You know, was he a running back? Was he a wide receiver? Was he a safety? Was he a corner? Was he a, you know, was he a quarterback? Oddly, where he ended up. So Blake was one of those guys, and you know, he he flirted really heavily with uh, I think it was Lane Kiffin in Tennessee, um, there down the stretch, and then I think when Lane left, is if I'm I've got my years yeah. correct, yeah, that would uh, be that uh, frame, Lane, that time frame. Now Blake, Blake would go up to. Uh, he was in Tennessee for an unofficial visit, and I, I had a friend. Tell Did he me sneak that, in, Tim? Did he sneak he, into Knoxville? He thought he was sneaking in, and uh, <laughs> I had a friend tell me he was there, and so I didn't. I, I asked him. I said, "Were you in Tennessee?" So no, I didn't go. It was mistaken. It wasn't me. He pulled the old Eddie Murphy. It wasn't me. It wasn't me. So he went. Sir, it didn't happen. Well, he went again, and I asked the person to get me a photo, and it was Blake, and they sent me a photo. It was Blake, and he said, I wasn't there, and I was like, I'm like, buddy, I'm looking at you. He said, how do you know? I said, man, you, this is what they do with recruits. So Blake was a really good personality, fun kid, interesting player, and I told you, we said this on last podcast, I loved Blake scrambling around in that backfield looking for Amari. There was nothing more exciting than what was Blake going to do scrambling around and Amari waving Amari deep. There was nothing more exciting than watching that. Yeah, Blake Sims, we've talked about it before, comes in in that 2010 class with another Sims at quarterback and Phillip Sims. And you think it's going to be Phillip Sims that's going to be the the future of the quarterback position. Of course, you still had A.J. McCarron in that mix, and A.J. would prove difficult to unseat there. But, um, yeah, Blake uh, ends up being the, the Sims of the two that ends up being the starting quarterback down the road for the Alabama Crimson Tide. Talking about another really solid evaluation, too, kind of along the lines of the previous year with Chance Warmack, Austin Shepard. Uh, it took a little time, as it typically does for a lot of players at a developmental position like the offensive line, but you got a couple of years of, of starts out of Austin Shepard at the uh, at the tackle spot. Yeah, as good a player as he was, you know, what stands out to me most is sort of him even better. He was even a better person off the field. I know that uh, uh, my niece had leukemia, and Austin Shepard was, was fantastic. He was at the Children's Hospital, A.J. McCarron. You know, this is for some reason, I guess they – you know, the media never really caught on, but several Alabama players would go up to the Children's Hospital and see him and hang out and and uh, wear her bracelet during games a whole nine yards. A.J. McCarron was especially good about it, and so was Austin Shepard. But, yeah, from an off-the-field standpoint, he was a five-star. And on the field, man, this was a guy that, that really, you know, paved the way. Another guy sort of with Chance Warmack, not really super hype, not a lot was known about him. And hey, I'll be honest. Those offensive value, you know, offensive linemen are hard to evaluate. They're always had a couple. Go ahead. Had a couple other starters come out of that 2010 class: Adrian Hubbard at the outside linebacker position, Brian Vogler at the tight end spot. So you went four for four. Yeah, and that's not easy to do, man. When you get those guys in there, like you said, Blake. Blake had a big contribution that last year, but Adrian came in, you know, got a got a little weight on him, got a little muscle on him, and played. And Vogler maybe was maybe the most, you know, he was a pretty unsung guy for Alabama that made some huge plays. And you had Brian Vogler and Michael Williams together at the tight end position, going back to that 2012 offensive line, and then you extended with tight ends like those guys. Yeah, it made that run game uh, in 2011, 2012, even into 2013. 
very, very formidable. So we get through the first four or five years under Nick Saban recruiting the state of Georgia. From a recruiter perspective, who were some of the standouts maybe on those staffs? I got to think Kirby was uh, a fixture in the state of Georgia, given his ties. Um, is that accurate? And and would you throw some other guys in that mix? Oh, yeah. I mean, I think, you know, Georgia's always going to be a team effort. Uh, even now, you see the state's just too big. You're going to have so many guys doing it. Kirby did a great job uh, in Georgia where he'd paved the way for a lot of those people. You know, he, he had been there. He knew those back roads uh, for many years, did a great job. Did a great job everywhere for Alabama, honestly. Kirby Smart was a great recruiter. You see that as a head coach. Lance Thompson knew how to get into it. Yeah. Lance, get into it, you know. Uh, every guy, you know, when you look at the great recruiters, Jeremy Pruitt certainly was a guy that would go over there and do a good job recruiting. They would just have certain areas and they would attack it. But you notice a lot of the guys that were mentioned were the biggest name guys on the staff. So you yeah. knew that that was a target area. When you're looking at Kirby, you're looking at Pruitt, you're looking at Lance Thompson, who was an ace recruiter as well. Um, they would go over there and get into it really good. So, I mean, Georgia's a tough place to recruit. But the thing about Georgia is, the University of Georgia, it's almost like South Florida. You're going to have more guys in the state of Georgia. If Georgia takes the top 25 players, 1 to 25, there's still a ton of talent left in Georgia. So there's plenty to go around. So you get into 2011 now, and you take another eventual starter out of the state in Xavier Dixon. But if you want to talk about sort of the centerpiece class, to this point anyway. Now, we'll get into 2020 and the potential of what Alabama just did over there in Georgia uh, coming up in a little bit. But 2012, you talk about Geno Matias-Smith, Dylan Lee. So Smith, a starter. Dylan Lee, a starter. Kenyon Drake, essentially a starter. Brandon Green becomes a valuable utility offensive lineman slash tight end for you during his time how about dalvin tomlinson dakota ball a solid depth provider uh and a future starting kicker in adam griffith um you know that's a that's a solid group really when you consider all the factors involved there oh absolutely i mean those guys i mean dalvin tomlinson i mean he still probably doesn't get enough discussion um amongst us as he should i mean you're talking about that term dancing bear i mean you see dalvin tomlinson on a football field. He was a great wrestler. Played soccer, didn't he? I oh, think Dalvin yeah. Tomlinson Absolutely. hurt his knee playing soccer. Yeah, absolutely. Or that's 100% correct. So you got a soccer guy, you got a wrestler, you got a you know a defensive lineman. Went second in the draft to the uh, uh, Giants. You know, just a big old active guy. But Gino was a heck of a star. Dylan Lee was an athletic you know linebacker, especially outside, made some plays. And Kenyon Drake, I mean, that guy – you know, he he was just a guy. He was a very clutch guy for Alabama. Came up clutch several times, especially sort of set the tone while they were trying to get those new running backs that they would get the next couple of classes. And I'll die on the Adam Griffith Hill. I'll do it. I'm ready to Dude. do it. Just on Dude. a couple of games, the onside oh. kick against Clemson. Uh, even if that's all Adam Griffith ever produced in his career at Alabama, that perfectly placed pooch kick against Clemson and Glendale that Marlon Humphrey was on the receiving end of. And then he also went five for five on field goals at Auburn in 2015. I'll die on the Adam Griffith Hill. If it, if it comes down to it, Tim, I'm, I'm willing to do that. So, you know, just putting not, it out there. I'm not going to stab you in the thigh. <laughs> I'm going to leave you out okay. there shouting. 
I know, I know. In 2013, how about a couple of running backs in that class? A guy by the name of Alvin Kamara. You also had Tyron Jones. That was just an insane running back class in general. Derrick Henry, a part of that. All T. Tenpenny, a part of that. Um, kind of a what could have been for Alabama with those two guys. Camaro, I mean, the thing with Camaro was just it was almost like a series of unfortunate events. I mean, there wasn't one thing that sort of led. Well, there was one thing, his injury. Now, he was killing it. Alvin was going to play at Alabama. I don't have any doubts about that. I think he was going to play at the University of Alabama, um, uh, had the injury. And, you know, he wanted to play at the end of the year. And I think that's where the disconnect came. He wanted to play in the last game or last two games. I think it was just the last game. Alabama staff wanted him to redshirt, I believe. He wanted to play. And I just think, you know, the thing about Alvin was, like, when you talk to him as a kid, Alvin never, when you did talk to Alvin, he wasn't never a kid. Like, when I talked to him, first time I talked to him, he was 16 years old. He was already thinking like an adult when it came to football. He was he was just a smart guy. You know, Najee Harris was that way. We've had some deep thinkers, Minka Fitzpatrick. I don't you know, some some people are 28 when they're 16. I think Alvin was just one of those mature guys. So I think that, you know, when he got to Alabama and didn't have football, um, I think that he just sort of just didn't know what to do. And then you looked up and you had Derrick Henry, you had all those running backs. It just got crowded. It just got toxic and he left. But I mean, I know most people, including the ex staff, um, Kirby smarts, welcomed him back to Georgia. I mean, other people, you know, staff, you know, people that coached Alabama that knew him really thought highly of Alvin Kamaro. So I think it's a maturity deal. I mean, it's not uncommon. I think he just when he didn't have football, I just don't think he knew what to do. It's a harsh reality for a lot of guys coming from the backgrounds that they do as stars on the prep level, four and five star recruits. Then you walk into a situation. We've seen it here recently. Think about what Shadarius Townsend and Tyrell Shavers not only walked into, but the guys that came in with them in that 2017 class. No, I agree. It's tough. It's hard. It's hard to sit and be patient. And I think it comes down to your I think it just comes down to what kind of personality you've got. Like I wouldn't be a guy very good sitting on the sideline long. I can tell you I wouldn't. I'm not. I mean, you've known me 20 years. You know, we work together closely. And, you know, I'm not one to say, you know, chill out, be, be patient, all that. All that just no. right my head. So but I think others can see the big picture. And I think that's the ones at Alabama where you come knowing you got a fist fight. I got a fist fight, Minka Fitzpatrick, for a. I got to beat Marlon Humphrey for a starting job. That's what I got to do. And if you don't, you just sit behind Marlon and wait your turn and keep working to beat Marlon. You got that mindset. I think you're the. You know that those guys tend to be more successful at Alabama. Yeah, there's a maturity level that you have to sort of reach, probably even more quickly to be able to handle that type of circumstance than to be able to handle being on the field early, you know, quickly uh, in your career. So you get into 2014, 2015, not much going on there in terms of production where future contributors are concerned. But 2016, you get back into Georgia. Miller Forrestal, part of a two tight end class with Forrestal and Irv Smith Jr. in that 2016 class. And Forrestal, of the two, really, early on in his career was the first guy on the field. Unfortunately for Miller, as we've seen, injuries far too much a part of his storyline at Alabama that I'm sure he would prefer. 
And then in 2017, you get back over there and you and you get a uh, future NFL player in Xavier McKinney. Yeah, Xavier, you know, he was that guy. Xavier's one of the few that almost snuck up on us. I thought he was done for Clemson. You talking about a quiet guy, uh, committed to Alabama, you know, decommitted. A lot of talk about Clemson heading in. And the morning of his All-American games, when we sort of figured out it was going to be Alabama, we were scrambling because, you know, we – I was a little shocked by it, to be honest. I thought he was going to Clemson. I hadn't heard anything different. I don't think Xavier had talked to many people, but uh, I think he always had Alabama on his mind. It was a big day. Alabama staff sure was happy, and you can see why. I mean, there's another of those really mature guys. They're coming mentally prepared, three and done. He saw the job he did this year. I thought he was – I thought he – you know, I think in a lot of ways he was the best player at Alabama this year. I mean, obviously that's a bold statement when you talk about two uh, – and all those other guys, you know, Judy and Ruggs. But all those guys had, like, each other to make them better. I feel like Xavier was doing a lot of stuff on his own this year. I feel like he was on an island. Saw him at linebacker. You saw him getting to the quarterback. He was having to do too much. Yeah, See, that's he had what to I do mean. too much. Like, like yeah. Tua, Tua looked great because he had Ruggs. And Judy looked great because he had Tua, you know, when he was healthy. So I think they all helped each other on the offense. On defense, it was just Xavier out there doing his thing. So I have a lot of love for the way he played this year, a lot of heart, uh, and showed so much versatility too. So I think he's going to be a great NFL player. Yeah. Historically, if you go back and you look at Alabama teams where safeties are having to make 90-ish type tackles in 13 games, those teams typically don't win championships. And unfortunately, that was the big picture sort of – result for Alabama in 2019 but all the credit in the world to McKinney for doing everything that that team that 2019 defense really needed from them especially with all the injuries and the transition that you had there in that defensive front seven so speaking of 2019 you bring in Justin Aboigby up front on the defensive line Kevin Harris and King Wakuda a couple outside linebackers Saw a lot of Justin Aboigby in 2019, enough to think that he has a very bright future, just sort of still kind of figuring things out in terms of technique and how to play with his hands. Physically, he has everything you look for in an SEC defensive end. Harris needed a redshirt year, I thought, Tim, to add some weight. Not all that surprising there, whether it's Christian Miller or others that we've seen at that. Tim Williams, other guys in the past, they've all needed that. And I know there's some buzz surrounding Makuta in terms of what he might be able to bring to that edge pass rush, especially with Anthony Jennings and Terrell Lewis moving on. Yeah, with Justin and King, I think both of the, the key words there were athleticism and raw. That's the two things you probably heard the most about these two guys. Athletes had to learn the position. King needed a little bit more weight. Justin has to you know, refine his game a little bit, but – Two guys to me that this year could be sort of the hub. If those guys can step up and, you know, you got a lot of talented freshmen coming in, they're expected to play. But if you can get a few of those guys in Barmore to step up, I think we're looking at an entirely different defense. I think you're looking at guys. This is a, this can, this should be a hungry group. You know, last year was almost a tired group to me at times where you had, you had a lot of four-year guys, which Alabama's we're not used to seeing four-year guys at Alabama, you know, with Davis and, and Jennings and those guys. I think this is young guys who have waited their turn, and now it's their chance to show us they're they're going to be you know they're going to be impact guys. 
especially those young defensive linemen and also an outside linebacker oh. with Makuda and Harris. And, um, you know, you, you know, you've got Chris Allen coming back kind of a veteran at this point, but, um, a lot of production more so on the edge to replace there in the pass rush, a lot of returning experience there at the end and nose tackle positions, but you need to see more in the way of just overall production, from that group and year one under Freddie Roach is Alabama's latest defensive line mentor 2020. And speaking of pass rush, and that's what you're going to be expecting out of Will Anderson. There are certainly opportunities on the back end of the defense for a guy like Brian Branch to impact the situation wide receiver from a rotational standpoint. Once you get to that third spot at wide receiver through six, Javon Baker could impact that been some buzz about him in the last week or two. And then you've got Jamil Burroughs, another defensive lineman, and Seth McLaughlin, who, again, more of a developmental guy at a position where the offensive line, where that's typically the case. Yeah. Um, there's so much talent. I'm looking at this 19 and 20 class on the defensive side of the ball, and, I mean, this is exactly what they needed. You know, they had guys – you know, Alabama, the state of Alabama is always going to produce talent – Georgia's always going to have abundance of talent, but the job they did these last two classes, especially, you know, guys like King and Justin were guys that a lot of teams, a lot of schools fought for those those two players. Um, you switch ahead to 2020. We discussed Will Anderson, right, several times. Yeah, um, we've covered Will, but yeah, yeah it's Will his his rise. You know, it was almost at another level. I haven't seen, but I tell you what, I think a lot of people are sleeping on Jamil Burroughs. You look at this guy. This is a guy's a junior that was good enough to commit to Georgia. Um, in a class where Georgia didn't take a lot of Georgia kids in 2020, uh, in between junior year and senior year, this is not uncommon. Ron Payne did actually a version of this, but Jamil showed up out of shape to some uh, camps, and you know I don't you know you know from that point his ranking sort of dropped. People sort of got down on him, but I don't think a lot of people knew they had a coaching change. They weren't really in the weight room like they used to. Hey, and that's how Deron Payne ended up at 48th in the country instead of 10th. You know, big guys, when you weigh 300-plus pounds in the offseason, they tend to eat. You know, they're almost like a bear. You know, you can look at them like a bear where, they, where they're higher. They, 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 they want to go out, and they want to have fun, and they want to eat everything. Then they work their way back into playing shape. And I think Jamil, if you watch his senior film, this is a guy, this is a guy that can impact on the defensive line. Yeah, it, and, and, you know, you can never have enough of those guys, as we know. And the, and the good thing is – with the situation being what it is right now, Jamil Burroughs needs a year. You know, they're not going to have to rush him. You know, even with Timothy Smith coming in, who is obviously going to uh, have some pretty high expectations for him, they should be in a place now with the three guys that they played extensively as true freshmen a year ago. LeBrian Ray, you hope, is healthy this year. You mentioned Christian Barmore. You've got some other program bets like Stefan Wynn and some others. Uh, it, it's not a it's not a situation even like last year where you could have some guys maybe a little bit before they're really ready, especially early in the season, sort of thrown into that fire. So that gets you through 2020 of the Nick Saban era in terms of recruiting the state of Georgia. You look ahead to 2021. I know you mentioned Demarius Mims earlier, the outstanding offensive tackle prospect from Cochran, Georgia. Do you envision this cycle featuring about what we've seen in previous years in terms of a Georgia influence with Alabama recruiting, Tim? 
I think we'll see Alabama recruit Georgia. It'll be a little tougher this year. I think Kirby Smart led a lot of talent. I know he led a lot of talent leave the state of Georgia last year. They went national, had a really good recruiting class. Um, so you can't fault the talent they got. They just went out of Georgia. This year I see them focus a little bit on more uh, on Georgia kids, which is a smart move. Um, so I think the, the battle will be just as hard as it was last year, if not a little bit harder. So I expect Alabama to go in there and work that, work that state still. I don't see him backing down yeah. there. You got Jeremy working it now. I mean, there's so many schools yeah, getting in there trying. I mean, it's vital to Clemson. It's vital to South Carolina, Florida. I mean, not, everybody's trying to recruit Georgia, man. If you're not recruiting South Florida in the state of Georgia, you are not recruiting. You're not doing it right. Mm. Those are two areas you've got to hit. I mean, you've got to be in there because of abundance of talent. The local schools can't hold them all. I mean, you're going to Even have, Jeff Collins – even Jeff Collins at Tech now makes it tougher, right? I mean, Absolutely. Tech should be a lot better in the state of Georgia than it was under Paul Johnson. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. They're going to recruit. You know, Paul Johnson was recruiting for a system, and it was almost like Spurrier. Spurrier didn't necessarily need five-star guys at, at on offense. He needed guys that fit his system for five stars. And I think, uh, you know, the new staff at Georgia Tech, they're going for talent. They got Brent Key from Alabama. They're going to go after the best of the best. I still think it's a really tough sell. I wouldn't want to be in the ACC recruiting. I just think it's tough right now. Um, I think it's always been pretty tough. But until that that conference rises up a little bit, I think it's going to be an issue for anybody but Clemson. Going to take a quick break here on T. Watts and TR, part of the Built by Bama online podcast. If you haven't already, we would certainly appreciate a subscription to the podcast. And while you're there, a rating would be greatly appreciated, and just as importantly, maybe a review as well. And by the way, in your review, if you want to drop a question for us for the prod- podcast, uh, you're more than welcome to do that as well. And we'll do our very best to get to it here on the podcast. Speaking of questions, Tim, when we come back, we're going to delve into that roundtable mailbag. We got a few questions for you there. You ready? I am. All right, let's do it right after this break. More at T-Watts and TR right after this. All right, Tim, it is that time when we get into that roundtable mailbag for the T-Watts and TR podcast here on the Built by Bama online pod. Let's get right into it. It's a little recruiting heavy, as you might expect, Tim. Bama NYC 17 right out of the box. What chance do you think Alabama has in landing both Kool-Aid McKinstry and Jason Marshall this year? It would be nice not to have to rely on junior college corners in the future. And Bama NYC 17 also adds that he loves the pot. Hey, we love you too, Bama NYC 17. What about it, Tim? To land them both, I mean, it's always hard to land, too. I will say Alabama's neck and neck with both those guys. I feel like Kool-Aid's an Alabama-Auburn battle. Um, I mean, he just hasn't been out of state enough, I I feel like. I think he probably goes back and forth a little bit. Uh, I think basketball's one of the bigger attractions for him with Auburn. Um, Alabama's also recruiting him. So I think Alabama has a pretty decent shot right there um, of landing him. Um, Also, Jason Marshall, this kid just doesn't talk. I've talked to several people. About him though, who thinks it's Alabama and you know Alabama and Florida is his top two. So 
it's always hard to get two top corners. One can scare off the other. I've, I've, I've never completely understood why, but to get two five-star guys. You need more than one. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's sort of like, you know, it could scare them off a little bit. So I think Alabama has a, a decent shot of landing them. I don't do percentages very well, but um, I think the better shot between the two is Kool-Aid. Uh, but I will tell you, although he's a junior college guy, Kyrie Jackson, who Alabama is in on, who's deciding in July – from East Mississippi uh, Community College. That boy can play. He is a football player. That kid is long and he's athletic. I mean, he's you know he's over six foot two. He's almost two hundred pounds. He can play. This kid can play some football. So uh, you know, I'm, I agree with you. you. Don't want to keep plugging and playing with junior college guys. But I think this guy's gonna. This this is a guy that's gonna be a player somewhere. And Alabama's pretty high on his list. All right, let's move on to Jared Burns here in the mailbag. Uh, he lets us know that it took him a few years, but he went from hating the Raising Cane sauce, I guess, to absolutely loving it now. So there you go on the uh, on the sauce front. And wants to know what you are hearing on, I guess it's Dion Colsey and uh, perhaps the possibility of both he and Brian Thomas. Or who would you rather have of those two if you had to to pick? I guess. Well, I mean, I'm big on Brian Thomas, so no no offense to Colsey. He's to me, he's more of a straight line speed guy, and it, there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, this is a guy that gets down the field, stretches the field. All I've heard is Georgia talk. I know there's you know you know a popular way to get people to view your your uh, Twitter page or whatever is to throw stuff out there. I've not heard that Colsey is uh, leaning to Alabama. I mean, we've checked on it. Georgia still feels fairly confident. That had been the discussion early on. Um, good football player. You know, if Alabama landed him, he would certainly be a welcome addition to what they have. Brian Thomas is a guy Alabama's battling neck and neck for. I think Alabama's in there pretty good. Still have to battle LSU. And, you know, I think if this LSU season – the 2019 season, which is basically the perfect season for him, especially offensively, I think Brian would probably already be committed to Alabama. So obviously, you know, there's some uh, in-state pressure, and that you know, Ed Orgeron's got a you know got a program with a lot of momentum. So I think they're battling for him. We're going to do a little bit more research on Colsey to see what we can see, but we've still up to this point heard mainly Georgia. You big on the raisin cane sauce, by the way? Before we move on, since uh, I don't. I don't know if I've had it. Yeah. You know what I'm on right now when it comes to the fast food sort of chicken, chicken tender sauces, uh, that sriracha sauce at uh, Chick-fil-A. That's my that's my thing right now when it comes to those dipping sauces. What's it? I need to try that. My, it's my, really good. If you like a little kick, a little sweet with a little kick, it's good. It's good the, stuff. Uh, well, I've got a similar one down here at Champy's. We have a local restaurant. I think yes. Francis Champy's great, but I get their uh, chicken tenders and I get a uh, I get a sweet heat and I get a, a honey mustard yeah. and I double That's, dip them and they are it's quite it's a it's a really fantastic it's a great restaurant uh, people do a great job there we it's one of our favorite and that combination of that sweet heat and that honey mustard is really nice yeah that can work you know I'm that way at Choice I'll get the uh, we'll get the queso and the creamy jalapeno. And I'll go queso, and then I'll second coat it, Tim, with the creamy jalapeno on top of the queso on the chip. You know, isn't it crazy how we're so particular about how we go about saucing uh, chips and, and the like and chicken tenders? Hey, uh, CCAC 
97 next up in the mailbag. He wants thoughts on how some of the speed the wide receivers UA are recruiting compares to, say, a Henry Ruggs III in some previous years. Well, and I think CCAC 97 points it out himself that, you know, Henry Ruggs III in speed, that type of speed doesn't come around all that often. Um, but I guess the type of wide receivers for this 2021 cycle, it does look like anyway to the novice observer like myself, looks like maybe more in the way of length and size, Tim, than maybe that sort of compact speed type. Although I'm sure they're, they're going to try to bring in a, one or two of those guys as well. Yeah, I think what they went for first for their outside. I don't know if they went for them first. That's probably a poor way to say it. They how the how the dominoes fell were that the uh, the big guys, you know, Aggie Hall, Jacory Brooks, both are six foot three, one ninety roughly. Guys have, uh, um, you know, they decided to commit first. I mean, they still want a slot receiver, and those guys tend to be faster. They're in it for Christian Leary, who I felt like two or three weeks ago was committing to Alabama. Auburn's made a big push. You know, he's a slot receiver with some legitimate speed. Uh, a guy I personally like a lot is Malcolm Johnson from up in Virginia. Track guy can run. Probably not as, you know, you see Christian Leary, he's doing against Florida competition. You see that. You love to see those guys in Florida competing. So, Malcolm doesn't play at the exact same level, but his upside to me is as, as good as any slot receiver I've seen in this class, and it's a pretty good slot receiver class. So I think they'll go for those faster guys. I mean, the tall guys, six foot three, they don't run. You know, that's what makes Julio Jones such a freak because he does run a sub four or five. So it's hard for those guys to get those long legs below that. Um, but they're fast, and they're, you know they're fast. They're fast enough. So, you know, you'll see that slot guy later on in the process, I think, one, possibly two. Um, and like you said, I mean, to get with Judy, you know, they'll probably get somebody as fast as Judy, although I think Judy has really good speed. But I also think Judy's footwork and his quickness are what separate him, same way sort of Mari was. Um, but I don't I haven't seen many guys as fast as Henry. So that's a that's going to be a that's going to be a tall task there. Yeah, what you really loved about your top four from the last couple of years is that while all four were extremely dynamic, they were different too. You know, they complemented each other so well. The one common denominator, though, with those guys that probably hasn't gotten enough talk is the fact that they would block. You know, we don't, we, we, we never talk about blocking or the willingness to block, but. That maybe impressed me as much as anything else for for a group that had four guys that were legitimately each and every one of them number one type wide receivers. Uh, they got it done in the perceived or so-called uh, you know smaller areas of the position. Hey, Boo AU is next up, and he asks, "How are renovations progressing on the facilities?" Well, I did my Sunday walk had this on the podcast on Monday here on the Built by Bama online podcast. Looks like the stadium, Bryant Denny, uh, rounding into form. You've got that tunnel entrance that's going into the north end zone there at Bryant Denny underneath the north zone. Uh, that is taking shape. Uh, the Sports Science Center over the Malmore Athletic Facility is taking on glass now and really is uh, coming down the stretch, it looks like, as well. You've got workers. Every time I go by these projects, you've got plenty of people, even on the weekends, uh, putting in the time. So it appears on the surface. We haven't had an update from UA in terms of you know ETAs and uh, completion dates and things like that. But 
there is just so much construction going on in that area in general, the campus and then into the strip with the condos and all that stuff. But Bue, you also asked uh, or says, uh, we used to love the exuberance of Scott Cochran. How would we compare the personality of the current strength and conditioning staff to Cochran's? Are they more cerebral? Are they loud, but a little more controlled? Uh, what are you hearing on that front, uh, Tim, when it comes to David Ballou and Matt Ray and that team uh, taking over for Scott Cochran? You know, I don't think this is so much about, you know, and I know Georgia fans get mad about this. I don't think this has much to do with Scott Cochran, to be honest. I mean, Scott Cochran is an old school strength coach and there's nothing wrong with that. There's the old school strength coach has got a lot of players very high up, um, you know, in the national football league, old school from high school. You remember your gym teacher? I mean, he was probably old. Oh, yeah. You know, they wanted you to deadlift squat and bench press, you know, they wanted to, to get that. So this isn't about Cochran, but the minute, um, these guys were hired when we broke the news that these guys were coming on to replace them, we, I was told instantly, and I heard from NFL scouts, I heard from college coaches, I heard from people at the Indiana University. These guys were fantastic. Their presentation was great. I don't know how loud they are. Uh, my experience with every strength coach or trainer is they're they're pretty damn loud. <laughs> I think that's, uh, you got to motivate people. I think you got to motivate part, big young people. I think that's part of the motivation process. Yeah. So. Um, I, I can definitely see Baloo, you know, yelling and, and, and getting after it pretty good. But the the presentation, the facts, I mean, I was told instantly, he said within three months, one of the people at Indiana University said within three months, you're going to see everybody on that team is going to be a little bit faster. Everybody on the team. That's a bold statement. And I narrowed it down. And he said, no, it's going to this is going to increase everything they do this is going to increase everything they do is going to take weight off of people it's going to that that that's that can be more efficient lighter just as an Mm -hmm. efficient lighter and it's going to add weight to people that so they can be more efficient so i haven't seen the presentation um uh uh, obviously but everybody talks about it like i said this week ton of information parents and none of this was solicited i haven't asked anybody a question it just started popping up and then it started popping up on twitter and uh, obviously there's a lot a lot of people excited about this and while a lot of a lot of other schools and fans made fun of this they'll be looking to do it in the future so I'm oh it's coming it's coming to yeah. another sec program near you you can yeah this is this bet yeah. on that yeah probably not too far from us either and at the end of the day if you're david Ballou or these you know, you still have to bring juice each and every day. You know, it, 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 it's still the heat of June. You're still trying to motivate 300-pound individuals, 18, 19 years old. Um, there, there's a positivity, certainly, that you're trying to incorporate into all that. But you have to have energy. You know, it is not a position where you can go in there and go, okay, guys, let's get those 110s in, and then uh, we'll get smoothies. Yeah, it doesn't work like that. You have to, you have to sort of be the sun in that universe, and they're gonna, uh, they're gonna draw energy from you as a result of that. But you're right, and I don't think it's just that. You know, look, there's there's guys that are just happy to be back in the facility, just happy to be back around teammates, happy to be doing anything football related, and you understand that's gonna wear off in time. You know, the grind is going to settle in eventually. But you're right. I mean, overwhelmingly, it seems like uh, the response to this point has been exceedingly 
exceedingly positive. So as we get out of here on a Thursday, Tim, a couple other topics we were going to hit on today. I know you're a big movie buff, so I'm not sure if over there in the Birmingham area, it sounds like over here in Tuscaloosa, we're approaching a time when the movie theaters are going to open back up. Will you go to a movie theater as soon as they reopen or will you wait? Are you maybe done with theaters altogether? No, I'll, I'm not done with theaters. I, I love the movie experience. I yeah. loved it when I was a kid when there wasn't anything else to do. Um, going to the movies was a big deal, you know, for us as kids. I mean, it was exciting to see Star Wars. I'm not even a science fiction guy. It was exciting to see E.T. So I'll go. I still like the experience. I like the smell of popcorn. I like the, <laughs> I like the sticky floor. I like, like $8 it. Cokes. I yeah. Absolutely. Shoot. I, I, everywhere I go, the, you know, I got four kids. Everywhere I go is $8. $17 Twizzlers. Yes. I, not, now, I wear cargo shorts, as you know. I can sneak, oh, I can sneak yeah. stuff in there now. Literally cargo. So I'll definitely yeah. go back. I won't go right away. I mean, I, I only went mostly with the kids uh, to begin with. Um, they enjoy the experience. They're all teenagers now, so it's not as much. But I'll go back when it's safe. I don't have a problem um, with the movie theater. You know, I had just gotten to the point anyway where I was maybe twice a year movie theater guy, um, probably more so based on work and just being a sports nut in general. But also um, with Netflix, with the the HBO shows you've got now, the streaming outlets, uh, just something I haven't probably done enough of. And uh, maybe this maybe – this, uh, this stall and everything will will sort of reignite me from that standpoint. Hey, as far as a food item that maybe for the longest time you just would not eat that you've come around to though with age. I think we all go through that as we get older. Things that if our mothers put it on our plate when we were ten, uh, we would sit there for three hours. If, even if it meant we couldn't get up from the table, we weren't going to eat it. But maybe now in our 40s, getting into our 50s, we're kind of coming around to. Is there one or two items that you would put in maybe that uh, that department? Uh, yeah, you know, a lot. You know, I've looked back, and a lot of times our moms just threw on a plate whatever was available. So it didn't, <laughs> they didn't really match the bean to the meat. You know, you could have <laughs> you could have just any kind. You could have a. Uh, Lima beans and eggs in the morning. You know, I remember my mom putting spinach in my scrambled eggs at one point. I'll, I'll never know why, but uh, I think that was a part of why some of that stuff was sat uh, sat uneaten. But for me, it's uh, I'd say uh, carrot cake, oddly enough, and guacamole. I never had a taste for it until three or four years ago, and now I love it. I don't know. I hated it before. I think carrot cake almost was a mental thing for me, like – carrot cake it didn't make sense really doesn't make a lot of sense but it tastes good so i like it yeah you know it's probably broccoli and asparagus for me those are two things i never would eat probably pre-40 and here in the last decade i've come around to both um sushi would be another one in the last three or four years (laughs) although i'm not i'm not a you know i'm not an authentic sushi person you know i mean i got tempura in there and i've got cooked shrimp and I even have bacon in there. So look, you know, I'm kind of fraudulent sushi guy, but I, I do enjoy it. Enjoy it now, you know? Yeah. I think I'd, I've started on little stuff like that. Opened my mind. <clears throat> Traveling's helped me. I'll tell you that. Uh, yeah, that'll kind of force you, won't it? 
yeah, going to different places, New York or Boston or Italy, you try stuff. And, you know, one thing I've realized about food that's awesome is when you see something that just sounds ridiculously gross mixed together, that's usually the best thing. <laughs> they're doing like baked beans and, you know, and, you know, and, uh, Infusion. They call it infusion now. I had that at a baseball tournament. It was pretty good. It was uh, it was a Japanese and Mexican. Yeah. I realized I like that combination. It works. It It works. Absolutely. Uh, Speaking of Italian food, we we uh, we we wanted to get to this topic last week, but we ran out of time. So we'll we'll cap the the program today with it. Uh, Soprano spinoff series, kind of like Better Call Saul with Breaking Bad, if there was going to be a spinoff series from The Sopranos, who do you think it would have involved? You know, I just, you know, I kept thinking, I, I, I think it would have to be one of those prequels with Junior, right? I Junior and like, Johnny Soprano. I'd like to go back yeah, to Tony's like to dad know, and Junior and see them love, operate on I'd a weekly know, basis. I'd love to know the mom's story. I'd love to know Junior's story. Tony as a kid and all those guys as a kid, I think would be great. I mean, there wasn't a lot left when, um, you know, at the end of the Sopranos. No. You really, AJ Troy was pretty much gone. Yeah, yeah. Car- there's no chance Carmelo's in the game. You know, if she's alive, they all moved on. But seeing those guys, that'd be something almost like a getting to know Saul and Mike on Better Call Saul from Breaking Bad, which I, it was hard for me to wrap my mind around for a few years, and I caught up with – Better Call Saul now, and it's, it's, it, it was a great show. I'd sort of do that prequel. I think Junior and the Mom would be outstanding. Junior, Liv, and Johnny, and young Tony. Yeah, that that could, that could certainly have potential. You know, I'm all for anything. I'm all you can give me of Pauly and Chrissy, you know, when they're together. Uh, obviously, Chrissy didn't quite survive the entirety of the uh, of the program life there on the Sopranos, but you know, in a certain scenario, you could just kind of pair them up uh, and, and do some hijinks type stuff. That would be fun, but yeah, interesting to consider uh, with the Sopranos. Hey Tim, I think we're good, man. I think we're out of here on this Thursday. Got anything else for us? No, no, um, no. I think I want everybody to enjoy the warm weather. See you on the round table. Those guys have been great. I mean, I can't get over how much discussion we've had. Uh, with no sports, yeah, we've had no discussion, constant discussion, you know, recruiting keeps them going. There's always stuff, a lot of excitement. I'm waiting to see if major league baseball can dig their self out of this. Kill themselves. It's amazing. It's amazing to me, but yeah, looking forward to it. Everybody stay safe and we'll talk to you next week. Absolutely. For Tim watch Travis Ryder, thanking you once again for joining us. Not only here on the Built by Bama Online podcast, but also, of course, there at BamaOnline.com. The Roundtable, the premium message board of choice for Alabama Crimson Tide fans. Look forward to seeing you there as well. Have a great rest of your Thursday, everybody.